Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months, and seasons and years. I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at the first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you make, make, may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Pray forth and shout aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he, was born, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of a slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we e ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, 
but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. good there, Lord, we pray. Um, Father, I pray that the sound equipment would work well this morning. And um, Lord, we love you. We ask that you would um, once more speak to us through your word this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's always good when the microphone works. That's good. All right. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, as we begin, I just want to point out that these days it is not unusual for people to walk away from the faith. Um, that, is, that is not an unusual thing. In fact, over the past decade, there are at least two major trends that we could point to related to this. So the first one is um, people who are deconstructing their faith. Maybe you've heard of that terminology before, people who are deconstructing their faith. Usually what that looks like is kind of dissecting the belief system that they grew up with and then setting aside the things that they either don't like or, or can no longer feel comfortable holding on to. Um, and, and it's for a number of reasons that people do this. Um, often they have just found Christianity to be too narrow and too intolerant. And um, sometimes that's about more about preferences than about truth. 
And sometimes it's because they haven't seen Christians representing Christ well. And so they have decided to deconstruct their faith. They go through a process of, of trying to figure out, you know, can I, even, can I even believe any of this stuff anymore? And there have been several celebrity Christians, if you will, that have, that have come out and acknowledged this um, in recent years. So one of them, in, in 1997, a guy named Joshua Harris wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody hear of that book? It was, it was a huge hit, sold millions, and um, made him a, a star overnight. Um, he became the pastor of a mega church by the time he was 29 without any formal training. Um, became the pastor of this huge church, and uh, then a few years later, in 2019, um, he kissed Christianity goodbye. And um, he posted on the internet, and that was the language he used, that he had kissed Christianity goodbye. For him, it wasn't some theological or philosophical question that, that led him to do this. For him, it was hurts that he had experienced in the church. And for that reason, he decided to walk away, and, and the, cultural, the broader cultural pressures around him made it pretty easy for him to do that. But Joshua Harris isn't the only one, right? There are, there are others, so I'll just mention a couple of them. Kevin Max from DC Talk, uh, Derek Webb from Cademan's Call, uh, Rhett and Link. Anybody know Rhett and Link from the, the YouTube show Good Mythical Morning? Those guys are super popular, so for the older folks among us who don't watch YouTube all the time. Um, they were at one point in time the fourth most popular show on YouTube over 18 million subscribers, um, something like 9 billion views of their videos, right? So, so th there's a lot of people that have watched these videos, right? And um, what, what you may not know is those, those two guys, Rhett and Link, started out in full-time ministry. They had been engineers, quit their jobs as engineers to become um, full-time staff with crew working at NC State. And so they were doing full-time ministry and then got into making videos and people love their videos because they're funny. And then they ended up starting a YouTube show. And then after 10 years of, of success in, on YouTube, like big success on YouTube, um, they walked away from the Christian faith. So um, that's one major trend is Christians who are deconstructing their faith, who are going through really a lot of internal turmoil, asking these questions and not sure you know, what to do and, and not knowing answers and, and then just deciding I can't follow this anymore. So that's one trend. The other trend is the rise of the nuns, not Catholic nuns. Um, but the rise of the nuns is, is talking about people who answer the survey a certain way when, when they're asked, you know, what is your um, religion? They write none. And it's the fastest growing group um, in America over the last 10 years. And so somewhere around, I think, 30% of people in America now would mark none, that they don't have any religious belief, that they're not following any particular religion. And so all sorts of books and articles have been written about that, like what's going on here, why all of a sudden, how is this coming about? And so um, at the risk of just grossly oversimplifying all of that, um, let, me, let me just give you one conclusion. Um, you, at the same time that you have the rise of the nuns, you have the decrease of mainline denominations of Christianity. And so 
quite a few of these, these mainline denominations are just dying at the same time that people are marking none on their survey. And so those same people that are marking none used to mark Christian. And the reason for this isn't that like some dramatic thing has happened in their life. What, what it seems to be that's happening is it used to be there was a little bit of cultural pressure to say that you were at least a little bit involved with church. And so when they get to their survey, there's, a, there's always this kind of like confirmation bias that goes into surveys where people, you know, they're going to check what they feel like they're supposed to check. And so they get to the survey and they say, well, I, get, I mean, yeah, Christmas and Easter, yeah, I guess Christian, right? But that pressure is no longer there. And so people don't feel bad saying, I'm not part of a church, and they're happy to say none. And so it's not that necessarily there's this dramatic change in the hearts of people, it's just that they're willing to be honest about it now. So the cultural pressures, all that to say, cultural pressures have changed. You have this this movement of people deconstructing their faith, you have the rise of the, the nuns happening, all of that together... And you can see that there are many people abandoning their faith. It's not unusual today for people to abandon the Christian faith. Um, You can also see, I mean, you don't have to look far to find the cultural pressures, right? Um, Just just to name a few, you know, movies and commercials and news programs and teachers at school, public universities, politicians. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to influence you away from Christian faith in one way or another. So what we're going to be talking about today from this passage, thank you, Meredith, by the way, for reading that wherever she went. Um, thank you. That was a long passage. I appreciate it. And it's, it's a, yeah, a little bit convoluted, so we'll work through that. But um, as we look at this passage, uh, we're going to see how Paul gives some really practical advice, um, so, some ways that we can work through the cultural pressures that we're facing. And so um, just a note on that long passage, um, usually when I'm picking out a passage that we're going to go through, I try to, you know, pick one main idea, right? What is the main idea of this passage? And sometimes that's a a small, like, single paragraph, one main idea. We're going to talk about justification by faith, something like that. This passage, the whole thing is saying the same thing, right? And so that's why it's a longer passage this morning. It's all focused on this issue of how do we deal with this pressure to abandon the faith. And so um, up to this point, Paul has, has been working through kind of explaining the gospel, right? Giving, giving us both historical and theological background related to that. So the history has been his coming to faith in Christ. And then related to like the other piece of that, so there's history and theology. The theology has been all kinds of stuff about the, the doctrine of justification by faith, Um, the purpose of the law, uh, the reality that in Christ we're adopted as children of God. You know, it's just amazing stuff he's been going through. But now he gets to this point where he says, okay, I've laid this foundation, but I got to share my heart with you. And so he he speaks, and, you know, if you've ever, like, you're pleading with someone, you probably ramble around the topic a little bit because you're like, well, what about this and, and, and this? You know, could you please? You know? And that's kind of the way he approaches this. It's like he's, he's just throwing out one idea after another to try to lure them back 
and so he's concerned for them. And so the first thing that we see here in this passage is that there is a real danger that they are facing. And the danger is that they're going to turn back. And let me just read verses 8 and 9 again for us, um, just to remind you how he begins here. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And so what he's telling them, you know, he's concerned. He's concerned that they're going to turn back again. And what he's telling them is, you know, these folks in Galatia, came from all sorts of religious backgrounds, worshiping false gods, idols. And he says, you were enslaved to these gods. How could you turn back? How could you go back to that? And the danger, you know, we've been going through this this letter to the Galatians. The danger is that they're going to turn away from the true gospel. They're going to turn to a false teaching. And what Paul's telling them is that whether they turn back to be enslaved by false gods or turn to be enslaved by a false gospel by returning to the law, it's essentially the same thing. These things are weak. They're incapable of saving them. And it's just going to bring them into slavery. And so Paul's concerned for them. He actually says, verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In other words, he's, he's concerned that his efforts for them were wasted. So why were the, the, the folks here in Galatia willing to turn away from Christ? And I think the reason for it we see throughout this passage is the pressure that they were facing from these false teachers. There's very real pressure that they're dealing with. And so let's just, I'm going to jump through this um, passage and show you examples of this. So the first thing here. Uh, Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's like, come come over here, come over here, but at the same time, oh, no, 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 come over here, but but you got to do it our way. Yeah, come on over, but do it it our way, right? So that then they can be puffed up. You know, it's it's a selfish motive that's, that's motivating these false teachers. And then he goes into this story of Hagar and Sarah. Anybody think it's, it's weird the way this story is told here? Um, it's strange the way he tells this. And, and people, you know, struggle with this because it's like, okay, what, is he saying that there was like some kind of hidden meaning back then? It's not the point at all. What Paul's doing is he's saying, okay, you guys want to the, talk about the law? You want to listen to the law? Let me tell you a story from the law. Let, let, me, just, let me give you an example from the law. And what he's going to do is he's going to give them an analogy. Okay, so you want to talk about the law? Okay, so the law is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. So let's go back to one of those stories from those first five books of the Bible. And he goes to the story of Hagar and Sarah. And if you guys remember the story, Abraham is promised by God that he's going to receive this blessing. He's going to be a blessing to all the nations. God is going to give him a land and a family. But in order to accomplish that, he needs to have at least one kid, (laughs) And he doesn't have any kids. And he and Sarah are old. Um, They are really old. 
And so he's, he's going along, and, and they're much too old to have a kid. And so God keeps telling him, you're going to have a son. And he keeps thinking, I don't know how that's possible. And so ultimately, Sarah finally comes along and is like, okay, well, this just isn't going to work, right? <laughs> She's way past childbearing years. And so she says, okay, let's, let's, we'll handle this. Why don't you go, you know, have a baby with Hagar and, and that'll take care of it, right? And so Hagar gives birth to Ishmael and God says, it's not through Ishmael. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah, which is ultimately what happens, right? And so you have Sarah, the free woman, and Hagar, who was their servant in their home. And you have Ishmael, and you have Isaac. And what's interesting, what Paul does is he says, um, the, the line that you guys are in, as Gentiles who come by faith, you are in the line of Sarah, the free woman. And those those Judaizers, those false teachers that want to take you back to the law, the law, well, that's actually slavery, right? So he's just giving them an analogy. So you have the free side, you have the slave side, and he says, here's, here's the, the punchline to the joke, more or less. Like, that, here's the connection, is that the, the son of the slave woman persecuted, mocked the son of the free woman. Okay? And so what he's saying is that ultimately the, the, the one being persecuted is you. And what Sarah said way back in Genesis, she, she makes this statement. And when you're reading through Genesis, it's weird, right, that, that it plays out this way. But she says, cast out the son of the slave woman. Cast out the slave woman and her son. And all Paul's doing is he's saying, you know, we should take her advice. That was good advice. We need to listen to this fact because if you keep them around, it's going to lead to further persecution and further bad influence in your life. And so kick them to the curb, get rid of them, don't keep listening to these false teachers, send them out. That's the whole purpose of of that long story that he tells there, is cast out this, this false teacher. And he goes on later in the passage to, to explain, you need to go find some new friends, <laughs> is basically what he's getting at, right? You need, to, you need to stop listening to these false teachers. So verse 7, he says, chapter 5, verse 7, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Somebody did, right? And so he's, he's warning them that there's a problem here. Verse 9, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right? If you've ever made bread and you, you've seen the yeast cause the bread to rise. Or, or we might use the expression, one rotten apple spoils the whole bunch. Right? So get rid of the rotten apple. You don't need the rotten apple in there. Throw it away. Um, he says in verse 10 that these people were troubling them. Troubling them over these things. And then that, that statement right at the very end there, he uh, says... I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. What is he talking about? Well, he's saying, you know, circumcision is this this surgery with one little part there, and he says, I wish they would just cut the whole thing off. That's that's essentially what he's saying, is 
They just need to finish the job, but I wish they would leave you alone and, and stay out of it. So Paul is concerned. He's had it with these false teachers. And he's saying, you need to distance yourself from them. You need to stay away from them. And so in terms of like, okay, practical advice, right? How does this relate to us? How does any of this relate to us? As we're thinking about the pressure to, to leave the faith, to abandon the faith, if you've ever had doubts and felt those pressures, the first thing he's saying is choose your friends carefully. Um, be careful who you're listening to. Because he says, you know, the, the consequence here is, is serious. So in verse 1, he's, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, for, cre- for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the first consequence is slavery. This stuff is not going to lead to freedom for you. And then the second thing he says, verses 2 through 4, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So what he's talking about is a life and death issue here. He's getting to this point where he's saying the consequence of leaving the faith is that you are severed from Christ and you have fallen from grace. So his concern is not an academic one. <laughs> That's the point here. His concern is that this is, this is really serious for them, which raises a, a question. And I think it's good whenever you're doing Bible study, just in general in, the, in life. I think it's good to be willing to ask questions. And so as, as we look at this, I think one of the questions that we need to ask is, is Paul saying that you can lose your faith, that you can lose your salvation? And so you might interpret it that way. Could it be that Paul had labored over them in vain? He'd done all this stuff and they had come to Christ and now they're going to leave their faith. Is it possible for true believers to fall away from grace? Right? That's the question. Um, I don't think that's what he's saying. Instead, I think this is what he's getting at. Paul is not claiming to have infallible knowledge of every single person there in Galatia. Um, He knows that it's probably a mixed group there, just like in any church. And there are some who have sincere faith. You know, he speaks to them as brothers. And there are others who maybe don't have a sincere faith. And it's probably that way in every church, right? It's, it's often that way in every church where you have folks who are, are born again, who have experienced faith in Christ and are saved by that faith. And you have others who have never experienced a saving faith in Christ. And so what Paul is saying is the same thing that we ought to be saying, which is, please consider the good news of the gospel. Please consider what is being offered to you in Christ. And he's offering these warnings because he wants to genuinely warn them about the danger of turning away from the faith. And so you can think of it as like road signs. You know, if you're driving along the road and you see a road sign that says, danger, falling rocks ahead. Okay, I need to beware of that. (laughs) Or danger, sharp turns ahead. Okay, got to be careful about that right? He's warning them because the warning itself is what keeps them safe. 
The warning itself is what drives them to do what they need to do, which is to persevere in their faith. And that's the second thing that I want to point out here in this passage, is his reminder that they need to stand firm. So we saw it there in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ set you free. Stand firm, therefore. And it's an active thing. It's something that takes intentionality. Work hard at this. Stand firm in your faith. And he tells you how long you need to (laughs) stand firm. Back in verse 19, he says, "My, uh, My little children, for whom I'm in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And that little phrase there, until Christ is formed in you, that's how long we need to stand firm for. Until Christ is fully formed in us, until our faith has been made evident, until, really, until we arrive one day with Him, right? That's what we need to do is stand firm in our faith as we deal with this. Now, lots of passages of Scripture talk about that. All through the New Testament. So you can think of like... um, An example would be the seven churches in Revelation. I think every single one of them are told, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. And so there's a lot of examples of that, but I want to point to a passage in Jude. This is not one of those books of the Bible that most folks know super well, and that's a shame because it's really good. So Jude, and it's only one chapter, so you don't have to say chapter one, it's just Jude. Jude, verse 20, and I want to read through the end. So it's just five verses here, so five or six verses. Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What a great benediction there. Um, I want to point out two verses here. So verse 21, Jude makes this statement. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Okay, that's active. That's something we do. We... Keep ourselves in the love of God. That means reminding ourselves of God's love for us. It it means remembering the good news of the gospel, continually turning our hearts and our minds to Christ. But then he tells us in verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and he goes on to say all these great things about the Lord, he reminds us in verse 24 that God is the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. So which is it? So is it up to us or is it up to him? Well, that's what has often been known as the the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Okay, The, The whole idea that we are, if we are saved, if we have come to faith in Christ, that we will persevere. Now, often that gets 
misrepresented as, okay, so once you're saved, you're always saved, you don't have to do anything, you just sit back, you relax, you don't, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 you need to persevere, it's active, you need to keep yourselves in the love of Christ, you need to be intentional about pursuing Christ, and the Lord will cause you to persevere, right? Um, it's, it's a beautiful doctrine, and Paul, just in passing, kind of in a, in a subtle way refers to it here. So chapter 5, verse 10, back in Galatians, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul has up to that point been saying, I'm deeply concerned, I'm worried, maybe you're going to leave the faith, everything's going terribly. And then all of a sudden he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you're going to persevere. How? Why does he suddenly say that? Why does he have confidence in the Lord? Again, I think it's good to ask questions. Ask questions when you read the Bible. Why does he say he has confidence at this point? When everything up to this point he's been saying, you're in danger, you may fall away from grace, all of this stuff. I think the key is that little phrase, in the Lord. So what he's saying is not he has confidence in them. His confidence is in the Lord that the Lord is able to cause them to persevere. So how do, we, how do we respond when we feel these pressures upon us to abandon the faith? Well, the very first thing we need to do is we need to stand firm. We need to persevere in our faith. We need to, we need to keep ourselves in the love of the Lord, remembering that Christ can keep us. He can hold us fast, right? We also need to get better friends, maybe, <laughs> and consider the influences in our lives. But let, let, let's ask one more question, and that is, how do we help, what, what, if, what happens if you have a friend who is struggling with this, okay? Because I think often that's the case, is often you see a friend who's struggling with it, that fly loves me, I don't know if you've seen that, um, often we have a friend who's struggling with this, or, or maybe you have a a family member who's starting to use this language of deconstructing or something along those lines. And what Paul does here for us in Galatians is really model a great example of of how to address this. So Paul clearly loves these people, right? And he says, brothers, I entreat you. And and in verse 16, I, I love what he says here. You just see his pastoral heart coming through. It's practically begging them to consider. And he says in verse 16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So, so there is such a thing as speaking the truth in love. And that often doesn't get received well. Right? And I think there is a, is a temptation for all of us to, when we see someone who's walking away from the faith, to just be quiet about it and to not want to confront, to not want to speak into it because, you know, maybe they won't receive it well or, or maybe they'll misunderstand us and, and we'll come across wrong and it's going to seem harsh or something. I love what Proverbs 27.6 says. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That is, that is a beautiful truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So 
It may look like a wound. (laughs) It may seem hard to hear that truth. But that's what your friend needs, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And if you only say nice things to them all the time, that's not a good thing. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So when you see someone wandering from the faith, when you see somebody who's, who's dabbling in something that's dangerous for them, speak the truth. Bring love in a real meaningful way to that person. Um, I even share this verse with them. <laughs> I did that one time. I was trying to talk to somebody, and I, and I want to, to say, hey, man, I, I, I'm your friend. <laughs> because I'm your friend, because I love you, I want to bring this up. So, so Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm your friend. I want to speak into your life in this situation and remind you of good things. So, so as we try to help our friends Speak the truth in love. But then I want to point you back to Jude, what we just read there a moment ago. Um, In Jude, verse 22, he says, Have mercy on those who doubt. And I think it's a good reminder. um, I don't know about you guys. Has anybody ever here struggled with doubts? Ever? Yeah, yeah, a couple, a few. I see that in hand, yeah. (laughs) I have. I've wrestled with doubts. Um, I, I met a guy a few years ago um, over at WSU, a um, young man who had grown up in a, a Christian household. His parents were from different churches, and, and I think there was a little bit of division there over that. But um, he had gotten to a place in high school where he had some doubts, had some real questions. And he went to the leadership of this church and said, hey, I have some questions and they basically told him, don't ask questions like that. You, you shouldn't have, that's, don't ask questions like that. Well, that didn't help, <laughs> right? All that said was, we have things to hide, don't ask, or something like that, right? And uh, man, ultimately, he walked away from the faith and was quite bitter about it. And there were other factors that let, went into that, but a big part of it was there were no answers for him. And so, you know, here's the situation we're in. We're, we're in a culture that's like a ship without a rudder. There's moral chaos, and especially young people, right? Like, you, probably, you guys have friends that are just swimming in a sea of doubts. And Christianity, the good news is Christianity has satisfying answers, intellectually satisfying answers. There, there are answers to these questions that your friends ask. And so we don't need to hide from doubt. We need to welcome it. It's better to get it out. <laughs> okay, let's, you got questions. Let's talk about them. Let's get it out in the open. Let's, let's deal with it. And recognize, like, that's, that's the most helpful thing you can do. So have mercy on those who doubts, those who have doubts. Um, we have the Word of God. And the Word of God has good answers to a lot of questions, especially all the most important questions. And so I would just encourage you guys, when, when people do come with hard questions, don't be afraid of that. Encourage it. Um, and if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Let's try to figure out the answer. I'm going to go back. I'm going I'm to do a little research, and then I'll come talk to you again. Right? Be willing to do that 
be willing to help folks. Um, one other thing with this is, is I want to um, give a book recommendation. So this is a book that I came across. It's, I don't know, two or three years old now, um, called Before You Lose Your Faith. And the subtitle is Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. And the whole point of this book is to help people who are dealing with doubt and who are struggling and who probably do have some legitimate questions or concerns about things they've seen in the church and trying to help them. And so the point of the book is, okay, and, I, and I've told people this for, for years, is, okay, you have doubts. Okay, that's good. Let's press into that. Just don't be lazy. Take the lazy way out and say, I have doubts, so I'm going to jettison the whole thing. Right? That, this is a serious matter, so press into those doubts and try to find answers. Right? So I would, I would encourage that book um, for, for anybody that you know that's, that's struggling with that. So... Paul, as he walks us through this, this um, you know, as we see his heart for these folks in Galatia, um, he, is, he is so concerned to see Christ formed in them, to see them stand firm in their faith. And so there's really three big things I want you guys to take away from this. One is choose your friends carefully. He's saying get rid of those, those people that are such a bad influence in your life. And, and that's, I mean, I'm using that metaphorically. It's not just your friends. It's like the things that you watch on TV could potentially be that. You know, the, the teachers you allow into your life. Um, and then stand firm in your faith. Bring yourself back to trusting in Christ. And when you start to doubt, look to Christ. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I've got doubts. I don't know what's going on here. Can you help me? Can you send someone around me to help me? I, I've got questions. And then the, the last thing there is if you do have a friend or family member, somebody who's struggling, speak the truth in love. You know, invite them back. Love them. Love them well. Right? That, that's what we see Paul doing here, and it's, it's awesome. Paul is begging these people. <laughs> Reconsider. Don't follow these false teachers. Reconsider. There is good news in the gospel. God loves you. He has set you free. Christ has set us free. And so we shouldn't be subject again to a yoke of slavery, turning back away from these things. We should remember the good news of what Christ has done for us. Um, would you guys pray with me? Um, 